Hi, everyone, and welcome to Don't Run Into Glass, a podcast hosted by the Citizen.in. I am Gayati. I'm Anika. And Anika, what are we chatting about today? Today, we're talking about some big words. We're talking about what can NFTs and blockchain do for South Asian art? Wow. <laughs> that's that's pretty loaded, <laughs> but exciting at the same time. And I think all the more exciting because there, um, of course, I think most of our audience knows this by now, but there is this NFT artwork uh, by an artist known as Beeple that was recently sold for, wait for it, $69.3 million. Yes. <laughs> Even more interestingly, it was purchased by two South Indian techies. Correct. How fantastic is that? <laughs> it is. It's pretty cool, especially when you try and understand that NFTs are not really art in the sense that you can't really hang it on your wall or take a printout and show it to your friends. Uh, it's essentially a digital token that just identifies that piece of art and not really the artwork itself. But I want to start, Anika, our conversation today with this quote by Meta Coven. Meta Coven is one of the people who purchased this artwork. Um, and the quote goes, the point was to show Indians and people of color that they too can be patrons, that crypto is an equalizing power between the West and the rest, and that the global South was rising. The idea is F the gatekeepers. This is the most amazing statement I've heard in the recent past. I mean, there is so much in this statement that I want to unpack. The first and my most favorite part of this statement, Indians and people of color, that they too can be patrons. That is amazing, especially coming from a techie. You know, Indians are known to play a significant and fundamental role in the tech world. Um, but this statement of a techie buying an incredibly expensive and a new format, a piece of art, um, is, is, is so validating. Uh, crypto as an equalizing power, you know, that I think he's talking about the financial systems associated with it. Um, and then um, the global south who's rising. I mean, I feel like raising my arm inside along with him you know uh, but the idea of f the gatekeepers you know i want to unpack that for two seconds here is uh, meta coven who has bought a piece of digital creation titled an nft something never sold by an auction house that is 225 years old that has sold some of the most significant pieces of art in the world through decades and decades. And then Metacoven or Vignesh Sundaration actually says, F the gatekeepers. This statement is going down in the books. <laughs> yeah, very powerful. And um, so I also want to introduce our guest today, Anika. It, uh, Beth Citron will be joining us. And Beth is somebody who works closely in um, the with South Asian artists in the NFT and blockchain space. But before we get into our conversation with Beth, I think it's important to deconstruct these terms a little bit for our audience. So oh. NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens. Uh, fungible assets are assets that can be uh, bought and sold at exact value. They are, um, you know, currency, Bitcoin, things like that are fungible assets. Non-fungible usually refers to collector's items where things don't have an exact perceived value. So art actually is a very well-established, uh, fungible, non-fungible asset. Um, so is that how you would define it? I, I would say so, yes. Uh, I think the organic association of NFTs with art um, is something that I'm not surprised seeing. It is a very welcome uh, thing for digital creators who have often 
often struggled over a very long period of time to be called artists because they always face the risk of their work being replicated, reduplicated because they're digital, you know, they have easier access. But with the tag of the NFT that marks one particular work as the original, as opposed to the rest of them that have been reduplicated, really gives more credibility to these digital creators. And thus Beeple has actually uh, risen on, on that, on that uh, particular pattern of creation, you know? Yeah, so an NFT is essentially a way to digitally codify ownership and authenticity. Right. And it could be anything. It couldn't it doesn't necessarily need to be art. I mean, there was a guy who recorded his parts and he sold that as an NFT uh, for seven hundred dollars. Um, so, I mean, anything can be an N NFT. Um, yeah. yeah. So that that makes that makes the whole, you know, this an entire new digital landscape. Very, very exciting. And but, inviting. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And that's what we'll be chatting about. And um, I also want to just define the blockchain for our audience. So the blockchain is essentially a digital ledger. Correct. It, it is like the old register that we had that records important, significant events, uh, except it it is digitally maintained. And the most amazing and most important thing about it is that it is immutable. So if you fed in a piece of information over there, you cannot come back to it and edit it. That is the most important function of the blockchain where um, maintaining a record of things is concerned. So you mean I can't like just open the register and use that white, you know, that white fluid that we all used to use in school and then we used to write over it after erasing whatever oh, we did. No, no, you can't do that anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> all right, cool. So we have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. And with that, let's get Beth into today's conversation. Hello, Beth, and welcome to our podcast, Don't Run Into Glass. Uh, we're so happy to have you here. Beth, would you like to introduce yourself and the project you're working on currently? Sure. Uh, well, firstly, uh, thank you, Annika and Gaiti, for inviting me onto the podcast. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today and to talk about NFTs and South Asian art. I'm Beth Citron. I'm the artistic director of Terrain.art, which is an NFT art ecosystem for South Asia founded by Abrajita Jain. Uh, who's also the director of Nature Mort and the founder of the Sculpture Park in Jaipur. And Terrain uh, aims to democratize and expand the ecosystem for art in India through three divisions, Learn, Explore, and Archive. Uh, and effectively, Learn aims to create and disseminate educational resources that are, that are accessible to the wide public. Uh, so that art isn't forbidding for the masses. And we just, we know that there are uh, huge audiences of people across India and beyond who would be really excited to learn about historical and contemporary art, but may not yet feel comfortable stepping into a gallery or may not live near a museum, a public museum, or, or you know, have access to that. Uh, Explore is our online gallery, which also has a physical exhibition opening um, at Beaconer House tomorrow. Uh, and uh, that's mostly at the helm of Aditya Mopidevi, our curator of exhibitions, and most of the art presented by our Explore Gallery is at an accessible price point. Uh, there's both physical and digital art available, and uh, you know, through education, we're aiming to, to make that art, which is for sale, available to more people. And lastly, Archive, which aims to catalog artists' work both uh, historical, modern, and contemporary uh, in an effort uh, to protect artists' future history and uh, really uh, catch up uh, 
we have helped India to catch up in terms of archiving, which hasn't always been uh, a priority or professionally handled until now. Um, and the hope is that we can use blockchain to effectively create um, digital living catalog resonates for artists uh, so that their work is protected against future forgeries for copyrights and, and so on and so forth. Super, that's super interesting. And, um, you know, before we delve into this conversation in more detail, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room. I want uh, both Anika and Beth, I actually just want your reaction to the Beeple price tag, you know, the $69.3 million price tag. Do we think it's absurd? And I'm asking this because the two of you are from the art world. So for someone who's outside of it, it's hard to like make sense of it. So from two of, from the two of you who are involved in this business and in with, have experience in the NFT and blockchain space, uh, what do we think of this price tag, Beth? I think... $69 million is an absurd amount of money for most things, um, whether contemporary artworks or otherwise. Uh, and, you know, I, the people's rise was meteoric and very quick. And, uh, you know, one could say that it's speculative. I, I think there's some value in, in the buzz and therefore the education that's happened around NFTs due to uh, them entering this mainstream marketplace through Christie's. But um, you know, it's a hell of a lot of money for, for most anything, uh, especially when you think about global inequities around the world and, uh, you know, the crises of our day. So. Yeah. Anika, I think you had a similar reaction as well. <laughs> I had, uh, exactly the same reaction. It was a, a ridiculous amount of money, um, given, uh, how new this form of art is. And how it's, it's the whole story is quite amazing, according to me, you know, how quickly it got recognized, how there is a very deep narrative and an intersection with other genres of, of economics, essentially. So um, it's something that uh, took my breath away when I read it uh, in the news. Uh, but I'm finding myself kind of um, uh, very, very excited by it, um, uh, yet um, uh, looking forward to how this will pan out. Um, doesn't feel like a bubble. But yes, uh, considering people's art and the type of art and the kind of struggle that creators in the digital space have had to enter the space as an artist, this is quite an incredible story. Yeah, and um, you know, I think when uh, Beth was introducing her work as well, one of the things that she said was there is an effort to catalog uh, South Asian art, to digitally catalog and archive uh, South Asian art. And I know, Anika, that you, I don't know how many, how many uh, people in our audience actually know this, but I know you have some experience in the blockchain of space as far as archaeology is concerned. So do you want to just tell us a little bit more about the project that you're working on? Yes, I'm very excited to share about it. I work for a project called Global Explorer, which is hosted on a platform called uh, globalexplorer.org. It was founded by a satellite remote sensing expert uh, archaeologist called Sarah Parkak. After she won a TED Prize award for a million dollars, she found a rather clever way of um, uh, conducting explorations. Um, it is a citizen-driven platform that crowdsources um, voting on satellite imagery to find archaeological features that may be in areas where we don't have access to. The science behind it is very simple. If something is natural, it's made out of fractals. 
And if something is man-made, it's probably geometric. So it's easy to identify from a bird's eye view. Um, this platform uh, has run expeditions in Egypt before. It uh, uh, is currently running an expedition in Peru and is soon to be launched in India. In India, this project is funded by the Tata Trust and is working directly with the Archaeological Survey of India to train uh, archaeologists on board and future students in satellite remote sensing techniques, uh, which we like to call space archaeology because it sounds really nice. Um, but at the same time, launch a platform for the citizens of India and the citizens of the world um, to help find uh, archaeological sites in India. Essentially, what we, uh, how we use the blockchain in, on this technology platform is to document what we find. And when you document that, um, it does not, the blockchain being immutable, that information doesn't change. And why that is useful for India is because India is one of the biggest victims of illicit trading of antiquities from our archaeological sites. Um, I feel very passionate about archaeology because it is uh, pretty much the material culture is the story of human history. And with development, it's being uh, taken over in a big way. Um, and this technology of satellite remote sensing can really engage the common person in finding their own um, cultural heritage. Um, documenting on the blockchain with regards to a site or a piece of antiquity uh, allows us to catalog it so that uh, if it does go missing, we can really track back to it. Um, so that's the, sorry, this is a lot of information, so I'll stop there, but this is how we're engaging with the blockchain, developing it here in India, uh, all thanks to Tata Trust and the founding, uh, the founder, Sarah Parkat. Yeah, and that's interesting for me because, you know, when we uh, chose to have this conversation, we didn't really know which direction it would go, and then while speaking to Beth, we saw that there was this effort in uh, her work with modern and contemporary art to pretty much catalog, digitize, and use the blockchain in a way um, where uh, ownership of that work is protected. And you are working with archaeological artifacts um, and, and doing a fairly similar thing. So we'll, we'll chat a little bit more about that. But uh, Beth, I wanted us to just reflect a little bit about the, your work with South Asian artists. Um, uh, do you see a huge future for NFTs and the blockchain as far as South Asian art is concerned? Can you tell us a little bit about the projects that you're working on in this space with South Asian artists? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's two ways effectively that we're working with NFTs. And I also just wanted to comment uh, on what Annika is saying. In addition to uh, the looting of antiquities, we're also in a moment where 3D printing is getting so sophisticated that copies of works can be made available that are quite close to the originals. And so, you know, for both modern and contemporary and for antiquities, blockchain is incredibly useful to preventing fakes from disseminating as you know, authentic antiques. And that's that's a really important tool that goes beyond, uh, you know, the capitalist nature of, of the NFT um, art circulation in, in the market right now. But to go back to your question, um, I think there's two, there's there's essentially two main ways that we're working with NFTs. One is uh, I'm, I'm working on a project with our curator, the Demo Bidibi, on the topic of speculation. And we've invited artists who some, uh, who've never created an NFT before to explore the medium and create an, essentially an NFT native work that addresses the topic of speculation, whether from an economic sense or a political sense or um, in a way that relates to uh, you know, the core concerns of their practice. And so we've invited uh, several you know, important uh, mid-career artists working across India and beyond um, to create NFT native works. We're also working with artists, those we represent and others, 
including modernists like Lalu Prasad Shah to NFT their existing works. And so what that looks like is when you have a master like Lalu Prasad Shah, who's 84, an 84 year old painter, uh, he created a suite of works that were presented on terrain and all of those had an NFT associated with them. And that's, that's critical for an artist like him who, um, you know, many of his works um, have a similar style and you know he's he's at the end of his career, and uh, one needs to you know be assured that his works are not going to be uh, replicable so easily. And so having those physical paintings attached to NFTs helps to protect him and protect those paintings uh, against future forgeries. So we that's a service that we can provide essentially for any artwork in any medium. Uh, and it can go beyond artworks too. You can you can basically make an NFT out of anything. And I don't mean that in a in a, a casual or flip way. I think um, it's something that that can be uh, done as a you know as a service um, to protect any intellectual property in the future. Uh, and then I'm interested in seeing what this medium of NFT can be. And you know if if people isn't our cup of tea, uh, it's not to say that you know really excellent artists who've been working for a long time and uh, probing serious intellectual inquiries can't make something meaningful out of this medium, which is, you know, living on the blockchain. So those are the two main ways that we're working with NFTs. And this is an evolving space. I think, you know, one of the things I've learned in the past year and a half of working on this project, um, after, you know, spending a decade in a museum and the decade before that in graduate school is that uh, one needs to be very nimble working in an evolving space like this in a very different way than, you know, the structure of a four wall institution. And so I think, you know, with, with the future and um, progressive thinking in mind, one has to be open to the ways that this can evolve and, you know, develop new utilities. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm just, you know, a related question because you've been working in this space quietly for a few years and now suddenly there's this huge amount of media attention uh, as far as NFTs are concerned and the art world is concerned. Um, how has that impacted um, maybe interest in your work? Like is, is, is the hype welcome or is it is it getting annoying now? I think it's, I think any attention on modern and contemporary Indian art is always welcome according to me. <laughs> Um, I felt for a long time working at, at a museum in New York that it was uh, still very much a niche and that there wasn't enough widespread interest in India and, you know, just seeing by comparison the level of interest in contemporary Chinese art. Um, I always wondered why that same attention wasn't there for Indian art and, you know, I think that we can, we can close that gap and it's not about a competition with China but just seeing that, that um, it's possible for the world to be captivated by uh, you know, visual culture of um, a completely different, a completely different culture with, you know, different aesthetics and different history, different language, which, which isn't a problem uh, largely in, in the English speaking Indian art world. Um, why not? Why not see, you know, have the majority of people in India engaged with uh, their cultural heritage and cultural present? I completely agree with you, Beth. And you know, Gethi, to Beth's point and to your question. I also want to say that 
this entire like digital infrastructure that has come about, whereas NFTs are concerned or the blockchain is concerned or cryptocurrency is concerned. If you look at each tool uh, as a tool individually, they can serve several purposes. In Beth's case, they've served a certain purpose. In, in, in the case of my project, um, the NFTs are something yet to be explored, but can be very exciting. Uh, Beth spoke about 3D printing earlier. Given that antiquities uh, can be looted, uh, but the real desire is to own that piece of sculpture that looks a certain way from a particular temple made with a certain iconography. But if an NFT can be employed on that uh, 3D image, and it can be legitimately 3D printed rather than taking off the sculpture from an architectural or an archaeological site and being traded, even domestically is legal to trade uh, within uh, artifacts that are legally obtained with clean provenance. Uh, but they have different tools. And if you look at them individually, similarly, the blockchain, just as a record, like a register, a ledger, it is such a useful thing. Moving objects, when you take things from the National Museum, say for an exhibition to the British Museum, we are deeply insecure about the insurance and the caretaking and who will be handling the object. That logistical activity of it having left the National Museum, gone into the airport, uh, gone into uh, customs, gone into some other place, and then finally reaching the museum to be recorded on the blockchain is a very, very reliable system. Um, so all of these tools are, um, and I said this earlier in the podcast as well, these tools are uh, quite exciting and um, um, uh, present like an avenue of usages. And that's what I think, at least for my platform, I'm uh, very, very excited to explore. Every day you learn of some new way of giving better access to uh, people of the world, to their cultural heritage or art or a performance for that matter, you know? Yeah, and I would just add to that, and I, besides um, my work with Trina, I'm on the board of the Association of Art Museum Curators. And one of the conversations we've been having is something that arose during the pandemic, which is virtual careers. So, you know, in a time when people can't travel, objects still can. And so you can imagine, and there's a lot of pushback from, from curators about this, this idea that you would send, let's say something from India to the British Museum for a loan and not have a physical person, you know, have, have, have an expert scholar, somebody who's entrusted to take care of the work, accompany it every step of the way. Um, and the technology is not yet in place with those institutions to make up for the fact that a physical, that a person, you know, wouldn't go on that journey. Um, but maybe blockchain can help solve that so that eventually, you know, virtual couriers can be part of the norm, cut down on, on travel expense, environmental costs of exhibitions, um, monetary costs of exhibitions. So there's, you know, there's a lot of opportunity here that um, really <laughs> extended across the entire art world and ecosystem, I think. Yeah, and in a way that sort of takes me back to this quote, um, which we sort of referred to at the beginning of uh, this podcast, which was, and it takes me back because, you know, both of you sort of said there's opportunity, there's also opportunity as far as South Asia, South Asian, the art and the landscape here is concerned. Um, so it takes me back to this quote by Medikovin, and I'm going to, you know, read it out for our listeners. And then Beth, I would just want your you know, your take on that quote, because I know you, I know you already know it. So Medikovin had said when he purchased people's work, and I'll quote, the point was to show Indians and people of color that they too can be patrons, that crypto is an equalizing power between the West and the rest, and that the global South was rising. The idea is F the gatekeepers. So what's your take, Beth, on the, the sentiment? I, I think it's an interesting quote. And I also just wanted to add that the quote 
I originally saw the quote in an article in MoMA's magazine about what NFTs mean for contemporary art. So um, just to say MoMA is, is thinking about, the Museum of Modern Art is thinking about this, even if NFTs are not um, yet part of their uh, exhibitions and, and you know current plans. Um, I think there's a few interesting dimensions of the quote, which, which I do take seriously, um, you know, given uh, the context of, of people's work, um, making him, you know, one of the most expensive artists, living artists um, being collected today. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the two elements to it, besides the provocative, um, you know, statement about gatekeepers that are interesting to me is this idea of thinking of himself as a patron. So, you know, rather than a collector, Medikovin is saying that he's thinking of himself as a patron, which is actually, um, in fact, a more historical approach to, um, you know, supporting artists. Um, if you look at um, the Renaissance, for instance, and the Medici patronizing artists, and, and um, as opposed to the way that most collectors today think of, um, you know, essentially buying an object instead of having a relationship with the artist. The second thing is, of course, the, the post-colonial or decolonial aspect of the statement and this idea that, you know, we've been excluded from this space for a long time and NFTs, you know, offer the opportunity for a more inclusive democratic, um, a dem more inclusive and democratic space. And uh, I don't know if that truthfully bears out. I think, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it's still hard for me to get my head around this idea that spending $69 million on um, <laughs> a series of JPEGs is um, opening up very much. But I, I like the idea that uh, this can be disruptive and create more space for people of color who might feel excluded from the processes of the art world. So I think if it does that, then it's effective. Um, and I think that if Medikovin, you know, were to um, find a way to, to kind of pay it forward and create education around um, how people of color and people across the global south can become patrons, collectors, and so forth. And I think it's a really useful thing. And, and maybe some people don't want to engage with, um, you know, the very places that he does, like Christie's and, and these kind of historically uh, Western white institutions. I don't know. Yeah, in fact, that was my point. In fact, when we were chatting, Anika and I were chatting about this earlier, when I referred to Medikovin's quote, I did ask her this question. I was like, is it really, you know, to play devil's advocate, is it really the great equalizer? Can we say that considering that it's still Christie's that is commanding these prices? It's not as if it's, you know, not not well established or not a well established auction house like Christie's. And then, um, uh, so Anika, I know you had a few thoughts on that. So let's maybe we can chat about think, that yeah i think nfts and blockchain are new animals um in this uh, in this in this jungle of of uh, economics and uh, art and everything right um and nfts um i think nfts are inviting uh, of uh, different kinds of art um also they are able to give value to art that didn't really exist in a tangible form sometimes um so um with regards to NFTs and blockchain, it 
in terms of an equalizer, I don't know, that's a big word. And he obviously speaks from a, a place of passion because he has spent $69.3 million on this. So that's a great quote coming from him. Uh, but in terms of the potential of uh, uh, the NFT uh, and the blockchain, I see it as immense. Um, I see it as growing. I see it becoming fundamental part of our um, uh, life uh, uh, ahead. Um, but it's going to take its own time, and it's going to weave its way across sectors. What I love about this uh, entire discussion is how it made a big splash in in the art world first. You know, it grabbed everyone's attention by this ridiculous cost, and um, I, and I, I love for um, uh, artists uh, playing that role of uh, uh, writing history, essentially, you know? Yeah, and, you know, we're also a little short of time, but I think that's a nice uh, note to end on. And I want to reflect on that a little bit more because when I saw that price tag, and I'm not from the art world, so when I saw the, you know, the news flooded with this fact that, you know, Meta Coburn and his partner have bought this people artwork for $69.3 million, et cetera. For me, my head just went into the space of saying, okay, yeah, it's another bubble. There was the Bitcoin bubble. Now we have another bubble. And I know we were chatting about this earlier as well. And we thought about it and we were like, well, does it even matter if it's a bubble or if it isn't? Because as long as something positive comes out of it towards the end, and since it is an emerging technology and there is a very useful uh, adaptation to it, um, it doesn't even really matter whether it's a bubble or not. So the price and the hype, etc., is actually immaterial. It's more what we're looking to do with NFTs and the blockchain and the future of South Asian art. So I want to ask the two of you, are we optimistic um, about where South Asian art is headed and how this technology can be used for South Asian art? Um, Beth? Yeah, uh, I think that's a really great point. I'm, I'm optimistic both about South Asian art and about NFTs. And I think, you know, I agree. It doesn't really matter. I mean, there was a dot-com bubble. I, we still use the internet. I, you know, we buy most of our things on Amazon, especially now. Uh, it, I think NFTs are a useful tool, and I think that we're going to continue to find new uses for them. And so um, that space will continue to grow, especially as people become comfortable with them. Because I think, you know, one of the elephants in the room is that people are still really skeptical because they don't like change. They don't like new ways of doing things. And when people can get over their resistance to a new technology, um, to something that when they hear, you know, words like blockchain, like immutable, um, you know, it, it can help, you know, people can put up their guards about that, especially in the art world where there is, there has been a way of doing things uh, that preserved an elite until now. Uh, I think it will take time for that change to occur, but there's tremendous opportunity in it. And, you know, I've spent the past 20 years believing in South Asian art, and I continue to, to think there's immense potential for it um, in institutions, in people's homes, uh, virtually, um, you know, and beyond. I think, uh, you know, the, the artwork that's presently and in the past being produced across South Asia is extraordinary. And I, um, I hope that more people uh, find their way to it in, in coming seasons. So, yeah. And Anika, what about you? Are you optimistic? I'm very optimistic. I maintain what I said earlier. If you look at them as tools that uh, can be used in different ways, there is a lot of opportunity there. I think one uh, should not be, in my opinion, I, I, I speak about myself, I'm not skeptical. Um, I would like to be careful as to how I use what and to what good, good does it go. Um, but at the same time, yes, I am very um, optimistic uh, about how this grows. I'm excited to know what it does. And uh, very, very curious to see how also 
artists uh, and uh, the South Asian art market or the market outside um, uh, sort of addresses this and uses this. Cool. So we're going to end this conversation here. I want to thank uh, Beth for joining us and Anika, of course, for doing this with me. And let's hope that the next time we have this conversation, it's a South Asian artist whose NFT is commanding a $69.3 million <laughs> price tag as well. So <laughs> that'll come full circle nicely. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Congratulations you. for your exhibition, uh, uh, Beth. Uh, and congratulations to, to our team that's on the ground in Delhi. I only wish I could be there. Thank you both so much for having me. This has been um, really a pleasure. Thank, and thank you.